You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode of Off Book is presented by MCC Theater's production of C.A. Johnson's All the Natalie Portmans. It's starring some of my favorite actors, Kara Young, Renika Williams, Montego Glover, Joshua Boone, just to name a few. Come and get you some of this black excellence on stage at MCC. The show closes March 29th and tickets are available at mcctheater.org. That's mcctheater.org. Get your tickets now and see All the Natalie Portmans playing right now at MCC Theater. You don't want to miss it. All right, it's that time. It's a brand new episode of Off Book presented to you by Broadway Black. We're ready to hit our marks and we're going to do it right now. I'm Kim Exum. I'm York Walker. I'm Ramaz Jamal. And? And I'm C.A. Johnson. Yes, we have a guy. Yes. So we're going to dig right in. Um, basically, just know that all of our weeks were great and fabulous. Right. <laughs> uh, we don't really matter right now. It's all about Ms. Johnson here. Yes. So tell us about yourself. About myself. Yes. Well, you know, I write plays. Come on. Or so they tell really? me. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I was born and raised in and around New Orleans. Um, I've been in New York for like six years now. Okay. Um, yeah. And I like, I, the play actually, um, all the Natalie Portman's is set in DC. So people are always like, what you know about DC? And I'm like, I actually finished high school in DC. Oh, oh wow. like DC proper? DC proper. Yeah. I ended up there after Katrina. Yeah. And okay. I stayed. Um, so the play is weirdly like a lot of the family stuff is my stuff from back home, but a lot of the sort of location and the, lingo and sort of what they're dealing with is all dc all day come mm. on so you got yeah. the dc slang in there the <laughs> mo and the yeah. i'm from baltimore so it's totally it's like two different yes languages but when i went to college in virginia it was so many dc northern virginia people mm-hmm. and they all talk like in this weird mo and what's mo, the other stuff young that young and the play has a few like somebody says something about sison Somebody says something about, uh, what do we have? Uh, Cause I had to like layer it all in later. Cause it's like, at first I just had to get it out. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, now I have to make sure I'm in region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like at one point, I think Kara's character says kill, which I hadn't kill heard in Mo. years. Kill Mo. What, what is, um, what is Mo? What? I, this is new to me. What it's is It's kind of Mo. It's like nigga, yo. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, these joints, 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 joints. CC is so weird, so weird, and it's so crazy because um, <laughs> the actors are kind of from all over, but mm-hmm. Josh Boone, who plays Samuel on the play, is from the RVA area. Yeah, we just so, come together. Yeah, so he has it all in hand, and when he showed up for his audition, I remember I was like, okay, we good. Right. <laughs> okay, we have an anchor there it who is. can just yes. slip right in. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. What's some? So you say you've been in New York for six years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So did you move here from D.C.? I did. Okay. Yeah. So 
post-college, I went back to D.C. to teach writing. So I was teaching at my um, former high school. I went to Duke Ellington School of Arts in D.C. Okay. okay. Um, so I was teaching creative writing at the high school level, um, which I loved. I'm not going to lie. That was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I was so invested in those kids that I didn't write a thing. Oh. <laughs> I, like, I would be like, I need to work on my play, but I have to help uh, Michael with his. Like, yes. I, <laughs> like, I was so invested in them that I could not invest in myself. Um, yes. So I was like, I got to get out of here. But I also <laughs> didn't know how to do it because I was broke as a joke. And I don't have the kind of family you can call home and say, hey, Ma, send me a few bucks. Right. right. Um, so I was like, let me just apply to grad schools and hope somebody gives me a lot of money to do mm-hmm. it. Um, and I got a lot of no's, but NYU was like, yes. And also, here's the money. Wow. Come on, uh, NYU. NYU. Yeah. So. NYU be coming through on the low. I just read an interview with um of Michael Michael R. Jackson, mm-hmm. Strange Loop, and he was talking about his experience with applying to undergraduate and graduate programs and how he essentially got no's and NYU was like, Yeah, like mm-hmm. come on down. Mm-hmm. They progressive over there. Yeah, they do. No, I didn't get in, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy. I remember my year in grad school, you know, they don't publish any of it, but I remember slowly we started to realize the people who had full rides mm-hmm. and there were a decent chunk of us. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And I was like, okay, so they're actually doing something with all this money they're sitting on. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And like a decent chunk of those are women and people of color, which I also thought was dope. I was like, what? okay. It is dope. Cause okay, like they're trying to do something. There's a myth about NYU that they don't give nobody money and you just going to be in debt. I have a feeling that that really that's about like undergrad drama okay. I think a lot of the conversation is about undergrad drama okay. yeah and I don't know that for a fact but I will say this I remember my graduation and when they said every program they would be like a graduate acting a graduate this and that mm-hmm. and you would see like small groups of people stand up and mm-hmm. they were like undergraduate mm-hmm. drama and the whole bottom floor stood up and I was like that can't be mm-hmm. legal <laughs> <laughs> I was like this can't like because no they have way. so many different schools there yeah. like, oh, and I was like not all those there. kids are going to be actors like yeah. I mean more power to every single person Absolutely. but also not all of them are going to make it and how much money did you just drain us too it's much it's mm-hmm. like what $60,000 a year now crazy it's crazy Ooh. but you know part of the journey part know? of the journey it is I love when did you graduate from Duke Ellington um, I graduated in 08 Oh wait! Did you did you know Kazaya? Yes, I work with Kazaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love her. She She's was two years behind me. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. I love Kazaya. I always be forgetting like how much older I am than Kazaya at work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not that much older than her, but like I graduated high school in 06. Mm-hmm. and like I just be forget. I don't know. You working with people, you just kind of forget. Yeah. That, like. You know, we're working with 50 year old people mm-hmm. and 22 year old people right. and 30 some year old people, but you're all there together. So, so you kind of like. It all evens out. It all kind of evens <laughs> out. But yeah, mm-hmm. I love her. We share like the whole. I remember we were at work singing the Shoe City commercial. <laughs> um, you wouldn't know unless no. you are from the no area. Yes. 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 It was a nice moment. It was like, that. your city. My city, shoe city, shoe city. Oh my god, I haven't heard that in a long time. Before yet it gets tight. Check it right, shoe city. That's right. I love it. Shit. They be selling up in there. Shoes. It's just shoes. Oh, just they, shoes. It's called Shoe City. They sell shoes. Because okay. you know, when it be them ghetto store, they sell a little bit of everything. No, well, that's now I think it's like a downtown <laughs> locker room type of situation where they sell like. You know, clothes and stuff. I think they always sold clothes, but it was the focus was on shoes. Yeah, you went there mm-hmm. for shoes. You went there yeah. for shoes okay. because right. it's called shoe right. <laughs> city. <laughs> they knew what they was doing. Uh, I have a question. Mm. So, uh, 
what is your your process as a writer mm. and and sort of uh was wondering if you could speak to like where the uh idea for this show came from yeah um my process is weird i mean i i i it, my process is sort of born out of the people who taught me so um in grad school uh i got taught by this playwright eduardo machado who is this crazy Cuban dude, but he's brilliant. And he does, he's, he's not there to teach you how to write a play. He's just there to teach you how to write every day. Mm. Um, and so the way he taught us involved a lot of meditation mm. and sort of like body work. And so once you sort of centered yourself, then you found the character and then you let the character speak. Wow. Um, and a lot of people didn't like it. I loved it because mm. it quieted my mind because yeah. my mind can be busy. Mm. Um, so I try to do that in the way that I work. I don't, I'm not one of those people who like writes every day at the same time. I write in like, I'll do like two weeks of writing intensely and I'm like, there's a draft and then I'll write for weeks. Do and you like Jane the Virgin? Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love Jane. Um, yeah, yeah. That's sort of like my process, I guess you could say. But I, with this play specifically, I started writing it in a writing group. So I was in a, um, like a writer's retreat at the Lark. Okay. Um, and I was in that group with like Lucy Thurber and Chisa Hutchinson and um, Susan Stanton. It was like a good group, like a diverse group of people all in one room. Mm -hmm. And none of us knew what we wanted to work on. So we all just sort of tried something. And I started with these little monologues where it was just like this girl monologuing about movie stars, mm -hmm. um, which was just me pulling from my own childhood. I, I have always been obsessed with actresses um, in kind of a crazy way and in an obsessive way um, that when I was young was cute. And then after a while was weird. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like the more I wrote those little monologues, the more I got to know the character. I was like, oh, I think I'm trying to say something mm -hmm. about that journey for myself. Yeah. Um, and then I had to figure out like how her journey was different than mine. But, you know, it was like the play wound up being this sort of play with a girl in the center who loves a thing but her her life around her is really 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 complicated mm -hmm. like they don't have money they can barely pay the rent her mom is an alcoholic there's a lot going on and i think i was trying to write about you know some impoverished black families where like there is so much hanging over them mm -hmm. but they still find a way to love each other through all the bad and they find a way to have dreams yeah um and this kid has like glommed on to movie stars mm. and like it's beautiful at first but after a while you're like this actually might not be healthy mm -hmm. like it's okay to want dreams but your dreams should be connected to people who look like you mm -hmm. your dreams should be connected to like as much as they're connected to the things that you want to do, they have to be connected to your roots right. and your mm -hmm. blackness and yeah. the fact that that is beautiful. And this kid is trying to find that but hasn't found it yet. Inside mm -hmm. a family that's given her time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But sort of the pressures of the play sort of ask her, like, but who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Outside of all that madness. This Ooh. sort of reminds me of um, uh, unpopular, well, not, well, not as oftenly done mm -hmm. as A Funny House of the Negro, but Adrian Kenyon play called... Um, uh, movie star must star in black and white. It's one of my favorite plays. Man, so yeah. Top five. So basically in, in that narrative, um, the lead, I would say, uh, is envisioning their, their life story, but told through like popular white movie stars in the forties and the fifties. That sounds so like I would love it. Mm. It's so good. I've it's never it's a very it. beautiful play, but it's, it's very satirical in a way because she's imagining her black family and her personal story through 
white people. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that again? Let me write that down. Yeah, I'm over here like was, Google. Uh, starring black and white. Mm-hmm. All right, Adrian Kennedy. It's so good. Mm. I recently did it this fall. Really? Um, paired with um, Funny House of a Negro. Mm. I always get kind of like asked to do these satires, which I love it. I really love it. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with the idea there because like one of my favorite plays is um, a Clifford Odette's piece called uh, The Big Night. Oh, I love that play too. And I love old Hollywood and I love mm-hmm. old movies and the glamour of it. And I've always been kind of obsessed with that. Mm-hmm era ever since I was a kid and mm-hmm. I don't really know why. Like one of my favorite movies growing up was The Wizard of Oz and so that kind of segued into a Judy Garland thing. Mm-hmm. And then like I had a copy of a Wizard The Wizard of Oz on VHS at every home that I stayed at. So my daddy's house, my mom's house, my nana's house. Mm-hmm. They all had their own little copies. Mm-hmm. Like it was such a thing. So I'm yeah, yeah. I think that I will really because I love I don't know, I love the Glamour, and I love like the look of it and the way films were made. Yeah. And just, I don't know, it's so different than today. Mm-hmm. But then, like, you look at those things and then you think about like the historical context yes. of like what was actually happening with us and how I, I have the same feeling about things like, um, like period pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I would love to be in like a period piece where I'm like in this tight ass corset. <laughs> yeah. like, Sir, darling, I don't understand. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's just not realistic because I'm not white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's kind of this yearning to like want to be in that world mm-hmm. and you kind of can't. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's sort of like, I say this all the time. Uh, black people, <laughs> frankly, any person of color, like we grew up watching people who weren't like us. And Mm -hmm. because we are amazing, we were like, that could be me. Like you don't see the difference at first because you're just like, it's a good story. We can see any story and we know if it's good. We know if it's beautiful. We know if it's bad. Right. And like, it's something I think is actually kind of wonderful about us and about what we're capable of. And it's so funny to me when white people will be like, I can't find my way into this play. I don't (laughs) know if that show was for me. And I'm like, it's for everybody. Isn't that hard for you to just be able to see everybody right and we are good at it we're real good oh, at because it. We ha- yeah like we, yeah, we didn't to. have a choice mm-hmm. yeah you that's know? crazy to me i can't find myself into this play mm-hmm. what are you talking about what are you talking about i don't found myself into you know hello dolly <laughs> i love hello dolly <laughs> me too i love hello dolly me too i be everybody was like it's so boring i was like i love it i love <laughs> oklahoma i be loving all that little old mm-hmm. racist <laughs> <laughs> People were like, oh my God, I hate it, Carousel. I was like, I thought it was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> the casting didn't make any sense, but <laughs> but they were so good. They were good. Mm. In the dance of the choreography, mm. child, I love me some old racist white people singer. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, what else? So cool. Could you um, tell us about the process with the director? Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you speak about that? Yeah. So... Kate, how did I find Kate? So my director on this play is Kate Wariski. Um, I, this play I wrote like kind of in a corner by myself and I didn't really let a lot of people read it. I have a lot of other plays that like I had done public readings of and like had directors come listen to, but this play was so close to home that I just didn't show it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working on a different play in a, a fellowship that was run by Diana's son, the playwright, and she would invite guests in to hear it. And she invited Kate in. And apparently she told Kate, there's a writer you should know. I won't tell you who it is, 
And so she came through and she heard all our work and she was looking at me crazy. Um, and I remember <laughs> afterwards, uh, Diana sent me an email being like, Kate would like to have your email. Can I send it? And I said, sure. And I remember we met in Brooklyn to just have a coffee. And I remember thinking like, this woman is much further ahead of me in career. I don't know if I want this play to be directed by a white woman. That's something I have to think through. Mm -hmm. um, her track record is nice because she's worked with Julia Cho and Lynn Nottage yeah. and mm -hmm. Christina Anderson. Like she's done the stuff with the people right. mm -hmm. but you know we're asking some good industry questions right now about what that looks like and who should have access to our stories mm -hmm. yeah so i went in like guard up and was like excited to know her mm -hmm. but i was like i don't know yeah and, and she also we, has like quite a history of like mm -hmm. doing like black narratives um mm -hmm. just kind of read some of their off-broadway credits mm -hmm. she's done ruined mm -hmm. at um the manhattan yeah. theater club also did fabulation at playwrights horizon mm -hmm. And um, what's what's the other one? She did sweat. Sweat. There we mm -hmm. go. That's what I was looking she for. She did sweat on um, Broadway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she I. She went a lot. She yeah, they they were together a lot, and I remember. I swear, I went in like mm, I don't know, and then we <laughs> talked. <laughs> we talked for three hours. Wow. Three hours about like parenting and like mm -hmm. growing up Poe and like all this stuff, and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a mind meld thing, mm -hmm. and I don't know what we might work on together, but I remember this meeting. Um, and then when I had been working on the play for a little bit longer, it got into the Sundance Theater Lab, and they because of their clout. They say, who do you want to work with? We can ask anybody because right. we're at Sundance. Mm -hmm. right. And I was like, I don't know. I guess we can ask that lady. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and we, so what was, what was the, the, the change of heart? Because me as a designer, mm -hmm. um, I'm not too familiar with um, with your play, mm -hmm. but um, it's black leads, it's queer, and like you have like this um, this new narrative that's that's driven by that, mm -hmm. and so me, I'm I'm usually kind of nervous about yeah, sure. like how, how I was saying that I did um, a movie star must be filming black and white, yeah. funny house and negro that was directed by a white woman, and I was like, Ooh, Ooh that's interesting. I really want to do this play, but mm -hmm. what is this? Why is she so eager to do this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, um, there was points where I wanted to like you know fade out, yeah. and be like, nah, this is not for me. This is not the kind of theater I want to do. Mm -hmm. And plus, uh, it was just me giving it an opportunity for the first time to work with someone who was white because I have a history of working on black narratives yeah, and yeah, yeah. black directors. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's, it's just it's, it's just complicated. It's, it's very complicated mm -hmm. and like I feel kind of forced to stay because like me as a costume designer, I'm the character designer. Totally. And so the whole team and, you know, the actors are relying on me to bring the authenticity mm -hmm. despite, you know, I'm mm -hmm. the only black person on the creative team, but I'm I have that responsibility wow. to right. make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, let me go ahead and stay and push it through and, mm -hmm. you know, make mm -hmm. this the best experience possible. But mm -hmm. could you kind of speak to like what change, what change, what was your change of heart? Yeah. You know, I think for me, at the end of the day, I was like, okay. So Kate and I just did an entire workshop together where she helped me see what was wrong with my play in mm -hmm. a way that I hadn't been able to find on my own. Mm -hmm. And I, we had such a shorthand. And her way of working was never to tell me what my work was or to try to name black things for me. Like she would be like, here's what I know about these three things. And there are four things over there that only you can name. And I'm going to wait for you to name them. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. And you let me know when you're ready. She has such a skill set of having worked with artists 
who have a different, a completely different worldview than her and such a respect for their worldview that she, she does not step on things. That's mm-hmm. incredible. And when she weirdly gets something wrong, nobody feels uncomfortable about saying it. Like there was one moment when we had something on set and Josh Boone was like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, I don't remember what it was, but he pointed at it and like what was underneath that uh-uh was that ain't black. And then she was like, get it out of here. Mm-hmm. And like for her, that's, no, there's no ego. There's no, mm-hmm. and I, I'm telling you, it was such a question for me. And I had to, at the end of the day, be like, okay, for me, what is the thing I care about most when it comes to this play and it being articulated the way I needed to be articulated on stage? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was that, like, I write dialogue in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. Um, My characters say a lot really intensely. Mm -hmm. And I need somebody who will never, ever, 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 ever go past the beat. Ever. We'll never run over something. We'll never overdo it. We'll never. And Kate is the kind of director who will spend one hour on one line because she wants to do what I wrote. Wow. wow. And she's so diligent and so tedious. And I could breathe. I feel like so often when I work with directors, I feel like I'm constantly having to be like, there's so much about this world that you get, except that you're not getting my language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the one fight I'm not good at having because it's too emotional for me. Yeah. And I really liked that I could let go when I was working with her and I mm-hmm. could be like, okay, so I trust you to deal with all the language and all these other things I can deal with. So like when there's something that we're trying to articulate that is dangerous and personal to the actors, right? Like I got black people in some complicated situations in this play. Yeah. And so when we had moments where the actors were like, I feel you and I'm trying to get there in case trying to help them, I'd be like, I got it. Mm-hmm. And then we would have a conversation and she could respect that and she would just go quiet. And, like, and that's like the great mm-hmm. thing about new plays when, you know, the living playwright is there and totally. accessible. Yeah. Which I think to, is different. Doing you know, somebody if they're who's dead deceased. or if Adrian Kinney, who is like very old and yeah. not, you yeah. know, yeah. accessible, kind of it, it kind of make the process difficult for some people if you don't have that healthy balance on the creative okay. team. I would feel yeah. very, I would have felt probably the opposite if I knew I wasn't going to be in the room. Mm-hmm. If I'm yeah. being honest, I would have mm-hmm. been like, no, thank you. Uh, I love you. We right. need to find somebody who I know can watch the things that I would be watching if mm-hmm. I were in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I do have a question for you before we we're going to ask a question that was actually asked of you at the panel. Mm-hmm. Um, but my own personal question, how is it for you as a black woman writing characters that aren't aren't women and aren't black? Mm. Um, because I find like a lot of white and I'm I'm a advocate of a writer should be able to write mm-hmm. freely. You know, you don't have to write what you know, especially when you're experienced and mm-hmm. you're trained. But I know that a lot of white playwrights and write, writer, white writers have kind of obsessions with going into the psyche of black characters. And sometimes it's inaccurate. So when you're writing someone of a different race, like mm-hmm. what is your process through that? Or do you feel comfortable doing that? Or does mm-hmm. it come naturally? That kind of thing. Yeah, I will say that I feel very comfortable writing white characters because I feel like whiteness is something we've had to swallow our whole lives so I don't feel a lot of fear there I feel like I'll get the first gesture of the white person out and then I'll go back and be like make sure you were nice to them because they are your character you know what I mean like make sure the character is doing what they need to do for the play to be sound you know what I mean because the first pass is always I find a little harsh Mm -hmm. and then I have to go back in and be like "All right, what does the story need and what do (laughs) I have one play that's like six characters and it's five black people and one white woman and from very on in the play it becomes very clear that this white woman is going to die Mm-hmm. And like that is those are the stakes of the world. And I don't apologize for the stakes of the world. But some of the writing, some of the work I had to do when I was editing, it was being like, give a woman a chance. <laughs> she gonna die, but just give her a little time. A little so like, so people understand her point of view. And I was like, OK, so that's the work I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not as casual with uh, other 
folks of color. Okay. Just because I would be like, there are things I know and there are things that I don't know because I actually, their cultures have been as marginalized as my own. So I like to check in with people. I have a play, a commission that I need to work on. Um, you know, New Orleans has a huge Vietnamese population. And when I was growing up, all of the, uh, all the corner stores were owned by Vietnamese folks. Mm -hmm. And so I'm writing a story set in one of those. And it's like a love story between a black woman in her sixties and this Vietnamese man in his sixties. And it's, a weird idea that I came up with, but just based on stories from my childhood. And I was like, okay, I want to do this, but it is much harder to write than any of the other stuff I've written. Cause it's just not my culture and I need to not mess it up. Mm. I got you. Um, but I think, I actually think it's not hard if you're willing to do the work. I think the problem is sometimes white folks are like, I want to write about this other character, these people who aren't me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes men are like, I want to write about this gender that is not mine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they don't want to actually do the work to get it right because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they're like I know it and I'm like sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't right. um, and it's like figuring out what you're good at I think I I actually think my favorite character if I'm being honest my favorite characters to write are black men mm -hmm. um because I, I I love them so much. <laughs> I have three <laughs> brothers and I just like I, I see it and I get it and I feel like sometimes the representations mm -hmm. of black men can be so I don't know, like lopsided. They're, yeah. they're angry or they're this or they're that. And mm -hmm. like black men are all the colors. And I like mm -hmm. being able to play with all those colors and give them the same range that white men have gotten on stage since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. Talk about um, it. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. Um, going back to the uh, panel mm -hmm. discussion, um, which our own Yan Field Stewart mm -hmm. moderated. Okay. Um, <laughs> the question that she asked was, what is your opinion of the representation of black queer women in the contemporary American theater? I am also interested in your feelings about the symbiotic or not relationship between black queer women and black queer men in the American theater. Yes. I remember this question. That's a question. I looked at Ian like, for real, we doing this? <laughs> we doing like, this here? And she's always like, we're always doing this. <laughs> <laughs> she was proud of that question. Um, I think for me, like the simplest answer is that the representation of black women on the American stage is abysmal. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it, it is a, a viewpoint and a type of person that has been overlooked for a long time. Um, I think that it's sad that I spent the early part of my career trying to find elders, knowing that they probably existed, but they had just never been prized by the institutions. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, uh, there's Lorraine, but even the player hers that we celebrate the most ain't the one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I do think um, we're in a moment right now where there are more stories happening. Like, I think it's exciting that my play was up at the same time as Danetta Lavinia Gray's. I think, like, um, there are other, like, Tiny Barfield. Uh, mm -hmm. Bright Half-Life that's a beautiful play like there are these examples but to find my voice I had to basically try to like put together a puzzle that was like okay August Wilson here Lorraine mm -hmm. Hansberry <laughs> here and then I add in like Lisa Crone and Paula Vogel because at least they have that other piece of my identity right. you know yeah. what I mean mm -hmm. like I was trying to put together like a puzzle of who I am through a lot of writers who literally weren't doing the thing that I'm trying to do mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be that hard and right. it's only that hard because theatrical institutions for a very long time have not valued us. I feel like the first few years of my career, I could send my play in and somebody would go, we love this play. And then they would go, we're not going to produce it. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, okay, what was that space between we love it and we're not going to produce it? Hmm. Not because I think I'm God's gift, yeah, mm -hmm. but because I want to know what that is. And what right. it is, is like in that space, they decide that my story doesn't have value. 
mm-hmm. and that other stories do. And that's not about me and that's not about the people I'm trying to write. That's about white institutions not knowing where to put black queer women. Woo. Who who are these plays for? And I'm like, well, women, uh-huh. well, queer people, mm-hmm. what anybody who's ever felt marginalized and who felt desired that they didn't know if they were allowed to feel mm-hmm. like that yes. is universal. Right. Every person has felt that the first time you feel desire, it is actually terrifying and it yeah. doesn't matter if you're queer or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like there's always this conversation about like if black queer women are being produced as much as black queer men. And for me, black women were like my first friends in the theater, like my first big fellowship in the city I had with Donye Love. Mm-hmm. And Donye is like. I call him my brother. I love him so much. And we were writing plays that were weirdly in conversation and we would go have cupcakes and talk about it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like same with like Michael R. Jackson. I've known Jeremy for a long time. Like I, I don't have beef with black queer men. Mm-hmm. I actually want to see their work produced and I want to celebrate them. Mm-hmm. I have beef with an institution that basically has me in one hand and them in another hand and says that only one of us can fit. Right. right. And that's not about black people. And it's not fair them to pit great black artists against one another no. in that way, because that's just some white institutional BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, yes, historically there's been far more representation of black queer men, but I actually think that that's because of patriarchy It's because, Oh, because they have the men thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's easier yeah, for, for sure. a theater. Mm-hmm. It's easier for a white gay man. Let's be honest. That's most of it. It's mm-hmm. easier for a white gay man to say, well, I understand him. I don't know what she's talking about. Right. Yeah. Like that's just mm-hmm. easier. And that's just prejudice. Mm. But for I sure. feel like if we have an institutional issue, it's because of institutions. It's not because of us. Like I have so much love for the black queer men who are writing and who honestly, are killing it so I'm like yes I think there's a problem but I don't think it's a black problem Come on now. Come on now. Because they created it. Let them fix it. Mm -hmm. Come on now. This episode of Off Book brought to you by Broadway Black is sponsored by all the Natalie Portmans, a fantastical new coming of age story about a smart and hyper imaginative queer teenager named Kiana. The New York Times called out Kara Young's portrayal of Kiana as a restless, vital performance with a mountain of heart. It is playing at the MCC Theater on 52nd Street in Hell's Kitchen, and it must close by March 29th. So please get your tickets now. And it's also written by the fabulous C.A. Johnson in her off-Broadway debut. Please catch this play and this playwright's work before it hits an even bigger stage and it's completely sold out and you can never see it ever. Should we go into some of these hot, uh, topics? hot topics? Yes, yes yeah. I'm so excited. You're going to do the little, the little, the little... <laughs> Hot topics. Come on. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple of things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, mm-hmm. where we want to start? We want to build well, we up. We already started talking you about Jeremy. You want to build up? We did start talking about Jeremy. All right. Well, so we can just hop on into that. We can. It, we so. can. <laughs> Jeremy O'Harris has a development deal with HBO. He is currently a, I believe it's called a co-producer on the show Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's in a development deal, kind of developing, I think it said his graduate thesis project into something for the screen. I want to start by saying congratulations, Mr. Harris. Yeah, um, amazing. I think that all of his all his accomplishments are great. Um, I do find him to be a very problematic person in the theater as a black woman, but I do think that his voice is valid. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. will say that I think his voice is valid. Um, I think it's necessary. Um, 
I think that is dope that, you know, he's going to be able to develop work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully it's for the culture. Slave play for me as a black woman watching essentially a rape on stage. It literally gave me a panic attack, which is not a reaction that I think is beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt very violated that work by a queer black man was kind of made on the back of my body without my consent, meaning Mm -hmm. like as a black woman. And that's the main problem that I had with that work. Um, And just the white gaze that I find his work to have. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my issue. I was I wasn't I didn't know anything about slave play when I went to go see it. Mm But once I got into the theater, I mean, of course, I was very uncomfortable in the first act. Mm -hmm. The second act was just giving me information as a person from an urban community, a black person who grew up in a Baltimore community, that all of my artistic ideas are of blackness, not white centered at all. Mm -hmm. He was just telling me shit that I already knew. You know what I'm saying? And it kind of made me feel like, well, fuck these white people for real. Like it didn't make me because I'm used to like I was like, is he going to make me want to be friends with these motherfuckers afterwards or (laughs) (laughs) or am I just supposed to like go and burn the country down? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I felt like the second I was for. But I was like, all right, I'm here for it. It's smart. It's very smart. Mm -hmm. And then third act, you know, I just felt like now I don't know what his writing process was, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm like, I don't know what black woman you talk to. But it sure wasn't none of my friends, Mm -hmm. no black woman that I know would that I just. Yeah, I don't know. I just it it was very offensive to me, very offensive to me, um, very offensive to a lot of women. I know I do know a lot of people who loved it. Mm -hmm. Actually, most of the people that I know who loved it were black gay men, Mm. you know, but I guess I'm just tired of like black female bodies being represented in this overtly sexual way that also is like filled with, um, and it doesn't even have to be overtly. The sexual thing doesn't matter. It just feels like it's without my consent. Very like Tyler Perry esque, you know, like how he's always centering the black woman, but he's giving her like AIDS or an attitude problem or a husband that beats the shit out of her. Mm -hmm. And it's very like it's very it's like surface level trying to be deep, but it's no woman that I actually know. Mm-hmm. And I know that the whole thing is made up and da da da. But anyway, let me get off my soapbox. Congratulations <laughs> to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that you know, that's anyway, that's on that. That's that's valid. Beautiful gowns. Be- oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else wanna weigh in on <laughs> Anybody else have thoughts? Somebody add something positive. Come on. <laughs> Give me some. Well, I think it's always positive when a black artist is being given a deal like that. Like, yes. HBO is a big deal. It HBO is a big, is a big deal. deal. And me, Euphoria was a breakout hit last year. And yeah. it was, I'm not going to lie. I watched that every week because I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. What is now? Yeah. Who is this? Right. I mean, I watched all of it. And it was mm-hmm. exciting that at the, at the end of every episode, I saw his name. And yeah. I thought, I know that dude. And I and I work in TV, so like I know my name has been up there, and I still was like I know him, <laughs> you know, because it, it like it never gets old to see a black artist thriving. Like I'm always like yes, absolutely yes, yeah. Um, and he's got that new movie that was like a hit at Sundance. Now that I really want to see because I remember that Twitter thread. Yes. <laughs> now I must say, like I said, like his work is smart. Mm-hmm. His work is smart. He's yeah. smart. He's, he's real a, he's smart. A good writer. He's mm-hmm. a good writer. He and mm-hmm. I want to see his work progress 
but I kind of have the same attitude with him now because I've only seen one piece of his work Mm -hmm. that I do with Tyler Perry. And I'm sorry, Mr. Harris, for comparing you to Mr. Perry, but I will always watch Mr. Perry's work. Mm -hmm. Always. Mm -hmm. I was raised on Mr. Perry. I was raised on I watched them on the stage. Same. On the stage with family. And he was actually really brilliant live. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but it's extremely problematic work and I am very much offended by it. But I do have an appreciation for it because I do think it's important. It's an important voice, even if I don't like the voice. Right. And I need to keep watching it in order to A, like open my, expand my mind and my thoughts on either, hey, why don't I like this work? Or why do I like this over this? Mm -hmm. Like my recent thing with Jeremy Harris was like, oh, there's a sexual scene in um, slave play that I'm very offended by to the point I had a visceral reaction, a physical reaction to it. But then in a strange loop, which also has a very sexual scene that is also offensive. And I had to kind of dissect within myself, like, why am I so offended by this and not by this? And I came up with my own answers because Mm -hmm. like strange loop uses black bodies only exclusively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. slave play uses both white and, you know, and also the point that like I'm a woman. And so my identity is wrapped up more so in slave play than it is in a strange loop where I can, relate to the story, but I'm not centered in the story. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not being dragged through the story. Right. You know, but anyway, yes, like I'm excited for his, his -hmm. progression. I really am, but I just don't want to be, I don't want to be right. And I think it's, it's important (laughs) to be able to, to create space Mm -hmm. to have critique. Yeah. You know, I think we're just now coming into a place, especially with, you know, film and TV and, I uh, saw the photograph a couple of weeks ago, the mm-hmm. Issa Rae movie. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. And it was like getting dragged on Twitter. And I was like, I yo, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a good movie, but it, I mean, it's not, there's nothing bad in it. I think people were like, oh, it's boring. And you like, as a writer looking at it, I'm like, oh, we could have raised the stakes here. We could have, mm-hmm. we could have fought for the love a little mm-hmm. more here, but it was mm-hmm. nothing that we need to drag it. <laughs> like, it's a good. Well, but you know what I said? I've been saying this recently a lot. And it's like, we're entering a new phase where we have, a lot more options than what we get to watch. Right. Mm. And just yeah. because we don't, just because something doesn't resonate with us doesn't mean, like, and like, if something doesn't resonate you, with you for political reasons that have to do with your identity, you need to speak to that, speak to that all day, every day. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. But I think, like, if you don't like it, you just don't like it. Right. And, like, yeah. how amazing is it that we can just be like, I think I don't like this. Right. Yes, there's enough yes. black work out here that we don't mm-hmm. have to stand so watch for. What you and like. that's new. And that's, that's new. new for us. I love that. And I think this is just part of the, the growing pains mm-hmm. of, like... Having representation. It's totally. like, oh, so we, wait, so I don't have to stand for that no. over there just mm-hmm. because it's black? Mm-hmm. Because if we don't stand for it, we won't get no more. It's like, oh, we're going to have mm-hmm. content. Yes. It's an exciting place to be, but I just feel like the Twitter culture and, and we're so quick to cancel each other out yeah. for our opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with these movies, uh, I, that happened with Queen and Slim. It was like mm-hmm. some yeah. people loved queen and slim mm-hmm. some people <laughs> hated queen and slim and i think both opinions are valid because uh, you know yeah. what my personal experience watching queen and slim might be different from yeah. someone else's you know you got moonlight moonlight rocked me in a way i ain't been rocked by a movie yeah and moonlight like, was some you know and there are other people that are like it was boring it was oh so good God. it see, was beautiful right? <laughs> see and i see and i had that way i saw uh bill street I would and somebody was like, "Well, I didn't like that when it wasn't as good as Moonlight." And I swear to you, like it comes down to like what representation you're looking for. Yes. Like I loved Moonlight. Yes. Bill Street 
because of the subject matter, I have two brothers who are incarcerated. Yeah. Because of the subject matter, that one exactly got up under my skin in a way that I was like, I've never gotten over. There's like a final scene in that where she comes to tell him mm-hmm. she couldn't do it. Like she mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And you watch him take that in and then he starts to take care of her. Yeah. And I was like, the number of times I've been in a phone conversation with my brother where I know that his life it's so like I live a beautiful, like mm-hmm. beautiful, privileged life compared to how he lives, and mm-hmm. he still is like, "What do you need?" Right. It's beautiful and heartbreaking. Right. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I literally almost got up and walked out of the theater. Yeah. If you didn't like it, fine, but don't mm-hmm. come for me. Exactly. Because I enjoyed myself. Right. And we have, to, we have <laughs> like, to create space for everybody to have their opinions and their experiences because it may not be your personal experience, but yeah. if it touched you, it touched you. Well, that's why I think that all black voices, especially like in the theater, in mm-hmm. in film, and, and even like, I mean, the crossover from you know, playwrights getting into film, Mm -hmm. it's very important. And even if I don't necessarily agree with your voice or Mm -hmm. feel seen by your voice, I am going to psychoanalyze it within myself on the why. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to ingest more of your work. Maybe not that same work Mm -hmm. ever Mm -hmm. again, ever, but I'm going to ingest more of your work to see your growth, to see my growth, and also just the beauty of having such a bounty of, like, I didn't go see Queen and Slim because I didn't have to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't really want to see this. I'm yeah. not interested in this movie. Mm-hmm. But five years ago, I would have just gone to see it because it's black. Right. Like, now there's so many black plays on off Broadway. It's like, damn, I can sit here and literally choose. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go see all of them. Yeah, it's like, am I like, in a mood for a comedy or a drama? Yeah. Let me yeah. pick one. It's like, I don't want to see, I don't <laughs> like romance. I don't want to see the photograph. So I'm not going. My um, <laughs> perspective on this is that, like, I've always been trained to understand that um, there's this, like, this James Baldwin quote that basically says that theater is intended to disturb the peace. And so, like, my three years in grad school, I've always been trained to don't say that you like something. Don't say that you hate say you hate something mm-hmm. after you read it or after you've seen it. Um, try to exercise your brain and think about what is the playwright's intent? What did you get from it? Yeah. What do you mm-hmm. wish that happened? And, 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 you know, if it's something political, it, you know, it sparks the conversation. And I think that's the beauty about um, theater. That's the thing that drew me into theater. Like, mm-hmm. my theater 101 was the Color Museum, and that shit was oh, radical. It, it was political it was mm-hmm. loud it was crazy i never seen no shit like that in my life so when i that was my theater 101 so ever since then i'm like man I, i'm interested in theater that challenges my mind yeah whether i agree with it or i may be offended by it but it always in, in a way as as an artist um i'm always growing from it and asking questions yeah. and it, it helps create the future of like, what do society need? What we don't need? What, yeah. what, what are people responding to? And that's how we can evolve in the industry if we do spit out these things. And I think it's great that we do have these options of things mm-hmm. that's like, Oh, I want to see black people laugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to see this tragedy. Oh, I want to mm-hmm. watch this slave thing. <laughs> you know, what, what, whatever it may be, we have a little bit of everything that's yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's great that we're responding to it. Oh, amen. Yeah. Um, we have to go to our next hot topic because we got a long ass letter. We're we just jump to the letter. Okay, okay, we're good. Okay. So there's another hot top. God, I'm not good at this. Where is Drew? Where is Drew? You got it. Get you out the it. jail, Drew. You got it. Escape the green mile. Break out. Break out, Drew. Ah! 
Um, let's talk about something kind of cool. Uh, the Prince of Egypt in the West End. Yes. <laughs> Listen. Okay. So I saw this clip yesterday mm-hmm. on on uh, Lee Colston's Facebook. Shout out to Lee. <laughs> you know. Okay. So I, I just feel the Prince of Egypt when the movie came out. My church went. It was a huge thing mm-hmm. because it was brown people. Mm-hmm. The cartoon was brown. Mm-hmm. So then I click on the link for the YouTube clip of the cast singing Deliver Us. And it's all kinds of, of, of white folks singing Deliver Us. And it just, who? somebody, it just, is, it was a little crunchy. It just was like, <laughs> who? y'all know what movie this came from. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't, and then also like, the sound of it to me, the like when I think of a song called "Deliver Us Out of Slavery," it's Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman with it, the lantern. It's Harriet Tubman with the bringing it full circle <laughs> with that lantern. You know, it's Harriet Tubman, and this is my light to freedom. <laughs> That's right. You, you. There's a specific sound that comes to mind, and it ain't what I heard. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, why couldn't we just? <laughs> Why couldn't we just first of all? Why we couldn't just leave it as an animation? The animation was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Yeah, yes. Like full lips, the hair, the whole aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Like my thing is, if you're gonna reproduce something, make that shit better. Like what the fuck you doing? I mean, Mm. you should just post that in the middle of Times Square. Because <laughs> no one has gotten that memo. They truly haven't. Except for maybe SpongeBob. I thoroughly oh, that enjoyed was fire. SpongeBob. You enjoyed it? That yeah. was fire. It, it, it was great. I, I was fire. And it had that too. woman in it whose voice is like the a voice yes. from the heavens. Like it's what is her name? Um, Jet. The child. She's a. She's not a child. She's a grown woman, but she's a baby in the business. Yeah. Jet. I don't know. Jalen Jones. Jay- yes, yes, it? yes. I went to see SpongeBob. Like I was like, we'll see what this is. I like the show, so I don't need this. Also, why am I still watching SpongeBob? That's another kind. That's all right. But I legitimately was like, we'll see. And then I was like, this is a whole other thing. Mm. And she came out, and I was like, this is uh, who is that? Who exactly? We was in a program. That woman like, can sing. I was like, I cried during the Squidward tap number. <laughs> now, mind you, I just had a baby, and I was like, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that was like mm-hmm. high con high. High concept, fun mm-hmm. camp kids. And just good music. Good music. Mm-hmm. Good ever. The costume, and they took risk. They mm-hmm. took risk. The acting was good. It was so good. And then they had to close it because but anyway. But Prince of Egypt? If you're gonna make something, do it like Sponge SpongeBob is a template. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I, I felt crazy saying yeah. it. But yeah, you gonna make Prince of Egypt, you gotta make that shit better. Yeah. I agree. And yeah. they over here like singing like this was just so it's just real it just seemed they you know, may be delivered from Caucasia well and then it seemed like the costumes was like very contemporary in yes. a way which is like oh you fucking up the beauty of ancient it's Egypt very like, like what are you doing it's very influencer also, this is Egypt come yeah. on come on Talk about that's what. You, yeah, like, you in the uh, UK. Kanye West Y'all not that far. Line? Line? Yeezy. It does look like Yeezy. <laughs> that's what the fuck it looked like. It looks like Yeezy. <laughs> I cannot I'm deliver us from. Actually, they should have just hired his choir to do the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> and it was Sunday listen. service. Sunday service. I mean, I know that Kanye is canceled Ooh. or whatever, but they sound yeah, real good, y'all. And I you see the one with Sia saying. No, Mm-mm. they were doing a version. This uh, find this clip. Lord they were doing us. it was Sunday service, and they were doing a version of one of her songs, and it was just the choir. And then the choir called to see her, like, "Girl, come out here." Mm-hmm. So then Sia was in the middle of them singing, and come they were all on. like, "You better sing, girl." And she <laughs> and she was singing. She was singing. 
Listen, oh, that's what y'all got me. Just revamp the whole show. Let get the Sunday you. service. Mm-hmm. Or Kanye just steal the idea because he'd be doing operas now. I don't know how he's qualified to do that, but whatever. He don't know. So he'd be doing operas. Music, so. Nebuchadnezzar the opera, no. starring like random rapper. He can do the Prince of Egypt, and I'm sure I, I'd like to, I'd love to see it. Mm-hmm. It would be well produced. It would. <laughs> it would be well it, produced, yeah. and nobody would be. be what? They would well, be white. We don't know. We don't they would be know. white. No, we can go that far. <laughs> Nobody would be. It wouldn't sound caught. Ca- it wouldn't sound Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Ca- That's true. Right. He is going for an authentic sound. Yes. That's oh, true. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so we should well, jump of opera. We're gonna jump. Yeah. Into this let's 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 jump into this. Now this 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 is a this is a long letter. It's an essay. It's a There's a lot of details. I'm going to try to articulate and get through it with some alacrity um, because we're going to be here all day. All right. So it... Back up. Alacrity. I felt assaulted by your vocabulary. All right. Here we go. Um, Where did I want to start this? Okay. In late July of 2019, a fairly successful black opera singer posted a Facebook rant that was sent to me by another singer colleague in the business. The post was an incredibly triggering picture collage of white folks in minstrel blackface. Think Al Jolson blackface. Mm. Imagine six or so pictures of black painted faces. The lips were drawn to quadruple the size. The coonish grin that we've come so used to seeing as textbook examples of blackface. The first line of the post was, this is blackface. The singer went on to loudly exclaim that these photographs were the real blackface and that what was happening on opera stages around the globe was not. Further, it says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that not only was the practice of darkening skin for the stage not blackface, but that theaters should continue to do it because of its historical context and that black singers need to worry about things that really matter. Mm. I was instantly infuriated, not just by the fact that I didn't agree with the notion that what Anna Netrebko was doing was not blackface because I also believe that we are incredible people with the incredible ability to multitask. And just as I can focus on and call attention to systemic racism in the opera industry, I can also use my voice to tell you that blackface is wrong. In the comments of the post, there were not just black singers commenting with approval, but also white people in the industry saying they agreed with the singer's opinions on what is or isn't blackface. So I commented on the post with a comment that began, absolutely not. 100% disagree with your notion that darkening your skin on stage to appear as though you are black is not blackface. I went on to say that blackface is wrong both on stage and off, and that if opera companies want their Aida to be black so badly, they need to hire black women to sing Aida. Mm-hmm. To that, the other singer responded with something along the lines of, you're allowed to have your opinion, but seeing as how I never met you, I don't need to care about your opinion. I responded basically saying that younger singers feel the way I do, but that he's right. Since we don't know each other, I wasn't going to comment any further. After that two comment exchange, there was an onslaught of comments and messages from numerous people in an industry, uh, none of them being positive. I was called disrespectful and told that I needed to chill out and be smarter about who I pop off to. It, w- it was implied that unlike me, some of them actually walk the walk and talk the talk. Two days later, 
I received a frantic phone call from a close friend of mine who was connected to a black singer in an administrative role at a major U.S. opera company. The friend shared screenshots with me of the administrator slash singer saying that I had pissed off a very successful and powerful black singer by publicly speaking in opposition to someone beloved in the community. Unbeknownst to me, the singer that posted the original status founded an opera company with the mission to empower African-American artists. Additionally, I received phone calls in which it was explained to me that while I wasn't wrong, as a young emerging singer, I needed to be quiet and know my place. I was told that in order to protect myself and my career, I needed to write to every single person that felt like I disrespected the singer mm -hmm. and plead my case to smooth the air. I didn't want to, but these men were literally danging my career in front of my face. One of them could seemingly end my career in a heartbeat. This wasn't just an internet beef between myself and another singer like I expected. It had turned into much more. My career and my livelihood were in jeopardy. And for what? Because I dared to speak up and say what one of them was saying was wrong. I've spoken with a lot of singers since then about blackface and what seems to be an incredibly large divide between younger and older black singers regarding what we want to see in the industry. Older singers in general uh, very much are still operating in the sense that we as a collective need to be thankful for our opportunities and strategic about where we direct our outrage. There seems to be a lot of fear that if we as black singers draw the line at blackface for Aida, then all of the black sopranos will be pigeonholed into only performing Aida and not getting to sing anything else. I honestly couldn't believe that I was having arguments over whether blackface is blackface with these singers. It seems that the singers closer to my age, I'm 26, stand more in line with me in the idea of darkening your skin to play a character on stage is one, blackface, and two, absolutely despicable and has no place in the theater in 2020. Unfortunately, the louder, more established, more respected voices have gone on record saying the complete opposite, making it possible for opera companies nationwide to pretend that this is not a real problem and not something that needs to be addressed. Hope this shines a little bit of light on what's happening in the world of opera. It can absolutely be abysmal, but some of us are trying to make a change when we get the chance. Huge fan of the podcast. You remind me of how important it is to maintain my voice in this incredibly white business. And I literally yell, gunmark, 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 multiple times a day to my <laughs> friends to grin. <laughs> All the best. This I love. Can't help but think of Monique and her being outspoken. Mm -hmm. I'm always asking this question of what it means to be an artist with integrity. At one point, if you are a part of a production or an institution where you don't like something and it doesn't match with your aesthetic or mm -hmm. your your view of art or, or life, at what point do you just get up and just go and just sacrifice it? Right. Th those are thoughts that, that kind of ran through my mind when listening to this. Let us like, so when are we going to continue to be silent? When are we going to stand up and um, take that risk or take that chance for, for a change to happen? Right. I feel bad for him. Yeah. Because I think he's absolutely right. Like mm -hmm. right. darkening your face to play a black character is, is black blackface. Is I mean, blackface. unless you, that you is literally what blackface is. Yes. <laughs> not change the unless you want to call it right. darkening face, but it's the same. Just because it's brown makeup or brown paint doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean it's not, it don't have to like be black. Shoe polish. It's less, yeah. but it's like just because it's not as out, Outrageously racist, racist right. as yes. the face we just, know yeah. doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's not black. Just because you didn't exactly. burn cork and put it on your face exactly. does not mean that yeah, it's, it's not. It's not even what? a microaggression. It's just racist. Right. Like, also, blackface 
was an economic system. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They built it so that black performers couldn't get jobs. That's right. actually why it existed mm-hmm. because black people weren't allowed on stages. Mm-hmm. Right. So white people had to do that. And now we're basically saying, well, that's the way it's always been. So we still don't have to care about black performers not being allowed on stages. Right. That is you saying minstrelsy is okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or like, because that's the way it's been. It's so, it's so fucking weird. I also just don't understand why some white people have this obsession with like authenticity but it's not Mm. authentic like i honestly have no problem with you hiring a white person to play the queen of nubia in your imaginary whitewashed aida Mm -hmm. but just let her be a white woman and don't do blackface and don't do blackface like high schools across america do hairspray all the time with all white people i don't know how that's possible they do the whiz they do once on this mm -hmm. island Mm -hmm. and and that's oh Listen. Choices. Choices. <laughs> and we all got to make them. And you know choices. that like sm- that theater teacher in that small town mm-hmm. was like, I just wanted to do good music. Yeah. <laughs> you know why. You know why. Justified in whatever way possible. <laughs> Listen. And, and it's nothing that we can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, if you're going to do it, just do it with your white face on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't right. do it with your black face You don't on. need to wear my face. Yeah. Right. Why mm-hmm. is it that you want to wear my face so bad? Yes. That's so fucking weird. Like, <laughs> why would I wouldn't even fit like. I just don't understand, like, changing the melanin on, like, your foundation color. Like, how do you even go to the store and purchase this? Like, mm-hmm. I need a B-52. I know that I'm a W-5. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but I just really want to be white today. Yeah. So if you could give me. And there are so many <laughs> black, there are so many black uh, singers who could sing and do the role. Mm-hmm. So why not just mm-hmm. give it to someone <laughs> who can actually do the role? Mm-hmm. But it's that white privilege thing of like, oh, I want to do it, so I'm going to well, do I, it. Well, I do know that opera is based off of your voice. So like mm-hmm. your vocal type determines the roles that you do. Right. And again, I mean, that's a system in itself. Mm-hmm. But what I don't understand is that like there was a there was a comment in there like the black people are worried about if we make Aida a black role, then that mm-hmm. means I'll only be able to do quote unquote black roles as a black opera singer. And I'm like, no, that's, that's it could still be if I'm if I'm read that correct because I was reading it as mm-hmm. you were. Um, but I don't understand why that vocal type mm-hmm. can't just if we're going to do a uh, multicultural casting across the board, because that's what y'all are doing. Mm-hmm. But just adding blackface to it for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. Then why don't we just eliminate the blackface? Do it like if you're a contralto or whatever, you do this group of roles, no matter what your race, and we just tell the story. And mm-hmm. that's also about fear, right? Like, yeah. that's like scarcity thinking. You're like, well, if we do that, then the whites will only give us this. Right. So we have to do this so that we don't anger the whites. And I've, I've like, experienced... And it's just like, we should all be joining together to get what we deserve and not yes. worried about what white people are going to give us. That's the thing. And like, that's the problem. That, yes. I've experienced this with older black actors. There's, there's a whole story behind this, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, in grad school on the West Coast, there was an old, we were, the black students were saying, like, this is, we started noticing some things, but it seemed a little bit off. And so we called it to the attention of the administration and everybody. And uh, we had an older black actor come in and one of our, well, the person in power, the white person in power brought in a black actor that they had worked with. And he basically came in and was like, I don't know what y'all are so upset about. This has been happening for I don't know how long, and it's not going to change, and it's fine. And basically, like, everything that we had said, like, completely undercut everything Mm -hmm. we had said. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, why? 
why would you do that? Like, you know, why would you? And it, I guess it's just this mindset. It's like some of the older artists have not have have been gotten so used to accepting what they what the, mm-hmm. the leftovers yeah. that they don't know how to do anything else or they're not comfortable doing anything else, mm-hmm. which I try to have empathy for. But it's also like my brother. It's we, a generational it's, divide. It's like, 2020. For sure. We we know how to demand things and our way of demanding things seems disrespectful to certain people. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. I remember when. Me Too first started the conversations like, in the, you know, Me Too first started in air quotes, whatever that means, because that has been a thing, whatever that means, for, right? It's been a thing man. forever. Right. Adam. But, but when we were having the conversation suddenly as a culture, I was mm-hmm. freaked out by the older women where that were like, I don't know what they're complaining about. Yeah. You know, men have been this way for forever. And I was like, yeah, girl, it's wrong. <laughs> you got Stockholm syndrome or something. Yeah. Think yes. about what you're saying. Yeah. And it is that people have had to learn to survive a certain way and they don't recognize it as a new way. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can just like ask for what you deserve. Just ask for it. It's okay. And you don't be you okay. Not want your your kids. To, it's like the parents who be trying to put their kids. It's like it's like if you ran away from slavery, like you gonna enslave your child because mm-hmm. you was a slave. You need them to learn all the lessons you learned as a slave. And it's like nah, we's free now. <laughs> like you don't need to. Ins- I don't need to be enslaved. I got in a conversation about income with some of my elders. Now I did have to check myself because I. Oh, as you can see, I'm so passionate about mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Sometimes when I'm talking to my elders who do know more than me about the business, I just force and drive my point without really listening to mm-hmm. what they're saying. So mm-hmm. I did have to check myself, but I did end up saying, I'm like, listen, when we're talking about monetary worth, like millennials, we're all about like exchanging the information. I'm, how do I know my worth if I don't even know how money works? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you saying like, oh, well, well, he he's worth that and he's white. I'm like, nah, he comes from money. Mm. And they and and systematically as a people, like we literally pay white men more, mm-hmm. period. And black women always get shafted. Mm-hmm. And how am I supposed to ask for my worth unless another black woman doesn't sit and have a conversation with me? Mm-hmm. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have to learn my worth as I go through the business and just be collecting pennies. Mm-hmm. You know, we can stop that. Like, I don't need to go through what y'all went through. Mm-hmm. That's my point. Like, right. and any younger black woman that comes into my show or that I'm just talking to about Broadway or talking about contracts or whatever. I'm always like, let's sit down and let's talk about this, 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 and this, Mm -hmm. because this is what, this is what they're getting. This is what they're offering us. Mm -hmm. This is what they're offering. So that you can skip all the bullshit, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's why it's so unfortunate with the old opera singer. Like you need to apologize. Mm -hmm. No boo. Mm -hmm. Boo. Like, no, you don't need to. It's just it's just absurd to me that old older actors can think like, well, I went through it, so you must suffer as right. well. Just like, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the hell? Yeah, yeah. Well, do we have any words of advice for? Oh, damn, we just talked this young. <laughs> no, I just want to bring because I know that's that's hard, and the thing about it is like we all go through some version of this mm-hmm. as as artists of colors. Of, of color. <laughs> and so I just want to like, of the oh, rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just want to, I, and I think a lot of, uh, younger people that are in school listen to this, to mm-hmm. this show. And so I just want to make sure that we always uplift and encourage the artists that are coming up, um, behind us. Because if you're not dealing with it now, which you probably are, if you're, especially if you're in a PWI, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably dealing with this, you know, right now. So mm-hmm. do we have any, Words of encouragement, things that things that they could do. I mean, I always say, trust your intuition mm-hmm. and trust your sense of right and wrong. 
because you probably you probably on the right side of the conversation, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And you know, it's hard to be the person who's speaking out when everybody's trying to tell you you're wrong, but it's also important to keep trying because there's somebody out there who agrees with you and they won't know that they're allowed to speak until you speak. That's right. Amen. And sometimes like um like when you're going through these circumstances like for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but I think people can relate to that you create these scenarios or these ideas of white people. And truth is, the person that you're dealing with directly may not be like that. And I, I found myself in that situation um, being like the only black designer in the program, wanting to do black shows. Mm-hmm. You know, they already have a curriculum. Mm-hmm. There's only like one black professor. He's a lighting designer. Um, and so... I was really frustrated and like just really like discombobulated about the whole situation. And I realized it was all in my head. Mm-hmm. And when I opened up my mouth and spoke my truth and explained what I'm going through and what I need, they was there by my side to help support. And then we brought in people of color into the room. Mm-hmm. We brought, we had conversation, group conversations mm-hmm. with people outside in the industry that are working. Mm-hmm. So you also have to figure out what's all in your head and what's truth and, yeah. and speak your truth so you can so you can get to the other side. Yeah. I love that. A professor of mine told me something I guess is a little fucked up. She's a black woman. Mm-hmm. And um I mean I was super militant in college. I was like black power. Like I was black, black black y'all, black y'all, black y'all. Like so much <laughs> rebel about a cause. Like sometimes just like we be talking about, you know, sandwiches and I'm like, and remember that I'm black. You know, like it's just, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And she sat me down. She was like, and I ended up getting like blacklisted from one of the musicals we did because of like my, my demeanor, my attitude. And I did have an attitude. I did have a chip on my shoulder. I was angry. Mm-hmm. And I think I was, it was valid. Mm-hmm. It was valid, you know? And it was also my first time really being around white people in mass like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no. And it's shocking. It's, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. It's shocking. And she said, she sat me down. She said, listen, you got to learn how to play the game. And I said, Ooh. What do you mean? She was like, you can have all your thoughts and all your feelings. She said, but this is a game. And she's like, you have to understand what you want out of it, what you personally want out of it. You know, and you can say things, but it's how you say it. You can say things, but it's when you say it, the time in which you say it, timing, who you say it to. You can't just dump Mm -hmm. all of your hurt and your pain, your anger and your frustration and even like your rightness Mm. onto someone who's not ready to hear it because it's just going to fall on deaf ears and it's going to get you into a fucked up situation that you Mm -hmm. have to dig yourself out of. And so a lot of times I just think to myself, like, all right, I got to play the game. You know, I got to. I got to do what I have to do mm-hmm. to a put food on my table, take care of me and my daughter and get these. And now it kind of comes, you know, it's, it's kind of fucked up advice because you, you don't want to have to mask it, mm-hmm. you know, but then there are arenas like this now, thank God in 2020 on the podcast. Like I don't have to play the game here. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to play the game with my friends, right. but when I'm at work at the book of Mormon, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm pleasant and I'm I'm playing the game and I'm being right. myself. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm being my authentic self, yeah. mm-hmm. but I've learned how to you know mm-hmm. negotiate that, that negotiate Monique and Steve Harvey balance. Yes. They both have like valid <laughs> perspectives, but yes. you just gotta True. find a balance. You gotta What's find the a balance and you also have to know who you are. I'm a black woman in I'm a black woman in the industry. You know what I'm saying? So me saying it versus a heterosexual black man saying something is going to be different. Very true. You know, am I looked at as a commodity in industry? No. 
you know, but black straight men a lot of times are, you know, white straight men are. Mm. So, you know, partnering with someone to say what you have to say is also really smart. But I mean, in this instance, it kind of sucks because the elder brought it to social media and you commented. And I think it was totally valid. I mean, he brought it to social media mm-hmm, and right. you commented, which you have every right to do. I think that there was n- literally nothing you could have done to do this you there's nothing you could have done to improve the situation except for not comment, which I'm not going to say, oh, don't comment like no mm-hmm. comment. Mm-hmm. You you had to you yeah. had to put that perspective on a thing, but they're just not ready to hear it. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. That mm-hmm. fucking sucks. But I can guarantee that that's not going to prevent your career from moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's really not. And you also have all the receipts. So mm-hmm. if it does, you have the receipts. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy no, y'all said everything. Y'all said everything. <laughs> well, you know, I love these moments of silence, but anyway, you know, this has been Come on. a brand new episode of Off Book <laughs> brought to you by Broadway Black. Drew, we love you. Please um, put money on his books. We miss you, Drew. We miss you. <laughs> we know jail's a hard time. Thank you for inviting me, Drew. Yeah, from the jail. He wrote her. <laughs> anyway. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank incredible. you. Oh, this All was the, lovely. The gems you were dropping. And- no, this yes. is lovely. I got to do a lot of press, but this is good press. <laughs> <laughs> well, bye, y'all. Have a good week. That was aggressive. Bye, you guys. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs> Today's episode of Off Book is brought to you by all the Natalie Portmans. Yes, all of them. You heard me right. You mean to tell me you haven't heard about all the Natalie Portmans written by C.A. Johnson? It's a fantastical new coming-of-age story about a smart and hyper-imaginative queer teenager named Kiana. C.A. Johnson is making her off-Broadway debut and been receiving good reviews, so look into it. You can catch it now at MCC Theater running through what? Must close March 29th. Limited seating available. Hold on. So we need what? We won't get an extension? Dang. What is we waiting for? We need to get our tickets today, right now. Yes, the damn day at MCCTheater.org. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.